appreciate you so much. You guys can take your seat. I am excited this morning to share with you uh, another message in this series, Restoring the Image of God. God's been talking to me so much about all of this, and I'm, I can't wait to unpack this message, and I trust and I pray that it'll uh, affect you the way it's been affecting me, that it will leave as much a deposit and make you go, wow, never considered that before. I got to tell you, as I've been putting this message together, I've st started to get revelation on many different levels even personal levels, particular levels. And uh, today, I believe that God wants to visit us in a very special way, helping us to understand and break through to greater and better and bigger dimensions. Now, how many of you think that's a good idea? How many of you are willing to say, God, I receive that right now? Amen. Absolutely. Two weeks ago, I preached a message entitled, Painting Pictures of God. And you saw me up here with my art uh, uh, smock and uh, a canvas, and I was diddling away as I was preaching. And I pointed out the fact that when Jesus preached, he was always painting pictures of God. And I quickly gave you a couple of examples uh, and they were in Luke chapter 12, 22, and in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, where Jesus was talking about, look at the birds, look at the sparrows. They don't toil, they don't labor, they don't store up food in a barn, and yet they never starve. They always have food. And Jesus said, now if you can consider that fact of nature, then consider this. You are God's handicraft. You are God's children. And if he feeds them, how much more he's going to look after you. And then he takes it another step further, and he says, look at the lilies of the field. God's the one who painted. God's the one who designed God's the one who imagined the beautiful array of flowers. And he started talking about the lilies of the field. He said even Solomon in all of his splendor didn't look as majestic as one lily in a field. And if God would do that for nature, how much more would he do it for the sons of God? Amen. Come on. Jesus is painting a picture of what God looks like. Do you know why he had to do that? He had to do it because the mindset of religion often clouds the image of who God is. The mindset of religion often clouds the image of who God is. This was Israel. These were the children of Abraham. They grew up with Moses. They grew up with the Torah. They grew up being taught the ways of God. And yet, they had a diminished view of who God was. An interesting thing that came to my mind, and I quickly made reference to it during the uh, worship uh, and my prayer, and that is that, it almost seems as if people outside of the house of Israel had a better picture and a better understanding of God 
than the people who grew up under a religious blanket. The Roman centurion came from a pagan background, but all he knew was the fuss he heard on the streets and the things he personally witnessed about this man, Jesus Christ. He didn't come from a religious background. He didn't come from a, a Hebrew uh, doctrine and teaching. No, he saw Jesus on the streets. He heard the things that were happening. He saw changes in people's lives. And when he needed a miracle, he said to Jesus, I get it. Don't come to my house. I don't deserve you coming to my house. Just speak the word. And I know you have authority in heaven and my servant will be healed. Now Jesus, God in the flesh, said, I have never seen faith like this in the whole house of Israel. Think about it. Here's the Syrophoenician woman. She's a Syrian. She comes from the region of Phoenicia, not a Hebrew not a daughter of Abraham. And she says, Jesus, my daughter is extremely sick. She's close to death. Would you heal her? And you know, Jesus knew what was in her heart. How many of you know Jesus always knows what's in people's hearts? The word of knowledge, he reads us like a book. And he says to this lady, knowing what was in her heart, he knew there was a nugget of gold in there. He said, lady, healing is for the children. This is their bread. I can't take the children's bread and give it to their dogs. And this woman turned around just as Jesus expected. And she said, sir, even dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. You see, she wasn't going to be put off because of religious verbiage coming out of his mouth. He probably reiterated the same kind of religious stuff that the people of Israel were so accustomed to hearing. And this woman pushed past religion because she saw a bigger picture of God. You see, religion sometimes downplays the image of God and casts a negative shadow on how great, how incredible, and how awesome God is. And Jesus turns to this woman and he says, you nailed it. You hit the nail on the head. Lady, daughter, go home because your daughter is now well. This is a woman not from the house of Israel and she had a bigger picture of who God was than the seed of Abraham. And we have to be careful that as we worship the Lord that we don't allow the religion from our past to cloud the image of the God who was and is and always will be. God is bigger! We talk about the enemy, and when you talk about something, you see it. We talk about the enemy, and sometimes we start seeing the enemy, and he fills our focus, because that's all we're talking about. 
And we need to talk about God who is so much bigger than the enemy. He took him into the world and he could take him out. <laughs> and he will too, praise God. My message this morning in this series, Restoring the Image of God. It's about restoring your picture of how you see God and who God is. And so the title for this morning is The God You See is the God You Experience. Jesus often said things like, when people came to him for healing, he said, according to your faith. Never once in the Gospels will you ever say, see Jesus saying, well, according to the will of God, let me, let, let me just have a minute here, let me talk to the Father, and let me see if God's in a good mood, or if you're one of the lucky people that he wants to heal. He always said, according to your faith. And you know why he said, according to your faith? Because the will of God is already established. He came to seek, to save, to deliver, to heal, to transform broken humanity. Jesus didn't come to tread on us and bring us lower. Jesus Christ came to live inside of us and lift us higher. Can I get an agreement? Come on, are you with me out there? Absolutely. And so here's Jesus, and uh, he, he commends this woman and says, your daughter is healed. The God you see is the God you get. Jesus was always painting pictures of God because he wanted people to experience how big God really was or how big God really is. You see, here's another example of Jesus painting pictures in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 to 11, and in Luke chapter 11, 11, I, I shared these two weeks ago. Jesus is painting a picture. He says, how many of you that are dads, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? How many of you, if your child asked for fish, would give him a serpent? If you who are fallen in nature, can give good gifts to your kids. How much more your Father in heaven is going to give great gifts? You see, the text to this whole series is in Hebrews chapter 11, and I've been quoting it from the beginning of this series, that anyone who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so Jesus was constantly painting pictures of a God who's bigger and better than the picture that religion has often painted. In fact, I made a statement and I said, here's Israel, the descendants of Abraham, and often God had to find greater faith outside of that community. And at the end of his ministry, he said, because you've not received, because your vision and your concept of God didn't match how big God is, you've actually defrauded yourselves of receiving the blessing that God had for you. And we see within 70 years the demise of Israel as a nation. Church, it is so important 
that we see God as he really is. And no matter how big my concept of God is, I pray tomorrow that I see an even bigger God. And the day after, I see him bigger again and bigger again and bigger again. If the Word of God says that of the increase of His government, there will be no end. If the Bible says that the kingdom of God goes from glory to greater glory to greater glory, then I can tell that that is the nature of my Father Himself. And He just gets better and better and better. Come on, give the Lord a shout. Jesus painted pictures of God. In John chapter 10, he said, look, let me make it really clear. The thief, the enemy, the dark side, the evil one, the wicked one, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy, he comes to make your life miserable, he comes to take away your joy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How many times religious uh, uh, influence has taught us to expect judgment and punishment from God? And yet the Word of God says anyone who believes that, who comes to God, must believe he is, and he's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. He's a blesser. He's a giver of those who diligently seek him. What an opposite picture. So here Jesus paints the picture in John 10.10. This is one of my favorite pictures. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I look at everything in my life, and I look at everything at life that paints a picture of negativity, and I know it's the enemy. And then I look at God through John 10.10, and I see a God who's not only come to give me life. You see, so many Christians think that God just came to forgive us of our sins so that we get to heaven. I got life. No, he came to give us life and life more abundantly. He came to save us and he came to bless us. Hallelujah. Jesus was always painting pictures of God. I want to share a text this morning <clears throat> where Jesus tells a parable and I want to bring a highlight to this parable that isn't usually extracted. And I believe there's something really important here that we need to see. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to start with verse 14. Again, it will be like a man who's going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Stop. We're going to stop right there. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Stop. Everyone look at me. The parable before this is the parable of the bride and the bridegroom, and the bridegroom has gone away, but he's coming to get his bride. And it's a parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. In the same vein, talking about what was about to come to pass, Jesus was going to leave them, 
and at some appointed time he was going to return, he immediately goes on and he starts telling this parable. That's why he says again, let me show you another illustration. Let me paint another picture. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Jesus was letting them know, I'm going to go, but I will come back for you. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now Jesus is running a parallel. A parable is a parallel to realities that, that are true in heaven and they affect earth. Now that's a good definition of a parable. A parable is a story that parallels a reality of heaven and is meant to affect earth. So here's this parable. Jesus says, there's this master, there's this king, there's this man. He's about to go on a journey, but he invests his wealth in his servants. See, right now, every one of you should be standing on your seat, shouting, going crazy, getting excited, if you get the picture. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going, but everything that's in me, all my wealth, who I am, I'm going to invest in you. Wow. That is powerful. That is powerful. Remember, a parable is a parallel of a fact or reality or truth in heaven that is meant to affect earth. This is a parable. Jesus said, I'm going, but I'm going to leave my wealth. I'm going to leave who I am with you. I'm going to leave my authority. I'm going to leave my power. I'm going to entrust you with everything that the Father has entrusted me. Whoa, that's a sermon right there. I could put a period there and we could spend the next half hour jumping, shouting, and getting excited on all that that implies and everything that that means. What do you think, Pastor Tom? Absolutely. Good word. I like that word. I use that a lot. <laughs> it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Let me unpack this a little bit more. He entrusted his wealth to them. You know what that tells me? What picture does this paint? Every word is so important. The Holy Spirit was making sure that he was painting pictures with words. Look at this word, entrusted. In the Greek, this word is paradidomi, paradidomi. And it's made up of two Greek words, para and didomi. And the word para, uh, and I'm going to read to you what is written in the Strong's Concordance, para is typically, theologically, very significant. It's a prefix. But why is it significant? Even when it's used as a prefix, pada usually adds the overtone from close beside, in conjunction with, implying intimate participation. And the word didome means to give, to bestow, to commit. 
And so this master, in the Greek, the story really sounds like this. The master's going and he says, I am going to invest in you. I'm going to take all that I am, all that I have, all of my wealth, and I invest in you and I will be there with you. I believe in you. I will empower you. You have the ability. Therefore, you have my confidence and my trust. Remember, a parable is a parallel of a reality in heaven that God wants us on earth to experience. The same way the Father invested in the Son all that He is. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. In Christ, the fullness of the deity lives. Are you with me? So here's Jesus, he entrusted them. He had confidence in them. And he was going to be alongside of them. He gave them of his wealth to do business in his absence. And he gave them of his wealth, but he was also imparting his ability and he was imparting his vote of confidence on them and in them. The master invested his wealth with them, having confidence in them. Do you understand that while Jesus isn't here, he's here in each and every one of us. And this parable would not be a parable if it was not a parallel of a reality in heaven that God wants to affect earth with. In other words, everything that is in Christ is in you. The riches and the wealth of who he is. He didn't spare anything. He gave it all to you. Wow. Hang on a second. Very good preaching, Pastor Rob. I'm getting excited even as I preach it. He, in, he, in, he invested in them. He entrusted his wealth to them. Verse goes on to say, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. You see, this guy, this servant, said, My master believes in me. And he has paradidomied me. He has bestowed on me everything that he has. But he has also given me his confidence and his ability and his anointing. And therefore, because I believe in my master, I have confidence that his judgment of me is correct. And I'm going to go out there and with confidence, I'm going to invest his money and I am going to reproduce his money and I'm going to give him a harvest because he believes in me and I believe that he is right on. I believe he's always right. I believe that if he says he trusts me, I am trustworthy. If he says that he has going to uh, para be Closely involved with me, I believe that whatever I put my hand to is going to be blessed and it will succeed and it'll bring glory to God. 
You see, there's a twofold relationship having he, happening here in the word in trust. The master saying, I've called you, I believe in you, I'm imparting into your life, and I'm going to be close alongside of you, helping you. And the recipient says, wow, I receive that. That's what you believe about me? You're willing to invest in me and actually leave the planet? I believe in you. I believe in your judgment. I believe that you will be para working alongside of me. I believe that you have invested me. I believe that you believe that I will reproduce for you. I believe that you believe that I'm going to be a success in your name. And therefore, I will be a success in your name. Hallelujah. Uncoordinated with the worship team, they chose to sing this morning, I believe I am. Who you say I am. The scripture goes on to say. The man who had received five bags of gold. Went at once put his money to work. And he gained five more bags of gold. God has invested in you. Your picture of God will determine how you respond to that. If you believe that God is always right, and that God has good judgment, and if you believe that he will be para alongside of you, helping you, working with you, if your picture of God is gracious enough and big enough to see that, then you will go from here or wherever you are with confidence and you will reproduce according to the image of the master. Verse 17. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Let's go to the next scripture, verse 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now I'm going to show you there's a key in the scripture that explains why two multiplied what they had and one just buried it. There's a key in the scripture. So let's go to verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. Jesus is coming back. And he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Now listen to what he says. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Listen to what he says. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. You believed in me and you anointed me. You gave me an ability. You gave me dunamis. You 
trusted me and I believe in your verdict of me, so I reproduced five more bags of gold. You see, he could not have said that to his master if he didn't believe in his master. Hello? He believed in his master and received the judgment, the verdict of the judgment. He believed in his master and therefore he believed in himself. I've gained five more. Let's go to the next verse. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. In the Greek, that word faithful doesn't just mean trustworthy, but it also means a two-way relationship. You have been trustworthy to what I have committed to you, but you have also been trustworthy to the picture of faith of who I am. You have believed in me and you have been faithful to the faith to which I have entrusted you. Wow. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Stop. Notice it says share your master's happiness. The father is happy when you have success. The father is happy when you prosper. The father is happy when you're blessed. The father is happy when you are receiving life and life more abundantly. Come on, somebody agree with me and say amen. If we go on to the next verse, it says... The man with two bags of gold came and said, Master, you entrusted me. Stop. First guy said, you entrusted me. Second guy says, you entrusted me. Both of these men are acknowledging with their mouth that the master has invested in them, but he has also invested in them the ability and therefore, they are repeating what he said because they believe equally in the picture of who the father is or the master is. The master has a picture of this servant. He says, you're competent, you're able, you're capable. I'm investing in you. I'm going to be there with you, Zach. I'm going to be working with you. I'm not going to be far away. I'm going to be para. I'm going to be papa para. The father who's close by. And Zach turns around and says, Dad, I believe in everything you said. I believe in who you are. And because I believe in who you are, I believe in what you said about me. And you gave me two bags of gold. Here's four. The second servant repeats the same thing the first servant said. He says, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. I've gained two more. You see, what we're seeing here is a story of dual relationship. We're seeing the relationship of the master to the servant that he has confidence in his servant, that he's willing to invest his wealth in him. He's willing to invest 
into him the riches that the master has. And we're seeing that the servant believes in the master and gains confidence and quickly goes to work in the confidence of who his master is. It's a powerful truth. If we go on to verse 23, we'll see another scenario. His master replied, well done, good and faithful. You've been trustworthy with what I entrusted you with, but you have been faithful in holding to the image of who I am. Can you see that? Can you see that? Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your, ha your master's happiness. Now let's look at the third servant and let's see the pictures he paints with his own mouth. Verse 24. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Stop. The first two servants repeated, you entrusted me. You not only gave me your wealth, you gave me who you are. You put your ability in me. I know how big you are. I know how great you are. I know how awesome you are. I know how right you are. And because of their image of their master, it gave them confidence in what they were told to do. And they went from that place and reproduced and became successful and prosperous. The third man, speaks from his heart. And we see the image and the picture he has of the master. He didn't say, Master, you entrusted me. He says, I, uh, the man who received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man. Let's keep reading. Next verse. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, I'm going to unfold this a little bit more. When he said, I knew you were a hard man, that word knew is very important to the principles we're establishing in this series. I knew you were a hard man. In the Greek, that word New means <clears throat> konosko. It is the Greek word konosko, and it is a prolonged form of a primary uh, verb. It means to know. By implication, it means I perceived, I recognized, I resolved, I concluded. The picture the third man had of his master was very different than the picture the first two men had of their master. This man says, I perceived, I recognized, I resolved, and I concluded, you are a hard man. And therefore I was afraid. 
And therefore I hid your gold in the ground. Isn't it interesting if we go back to the Garden of Eden, here's Adam and Eve constantly walking in the garden with God. And one day they open their ears to the treacherous trash talk of the devil. And he starts painting a different picture of God. And we know that they accepted that negative picture of God, not only because they took of the apple and ate, but we also know they took of that trash talk and let it get inside their heart, their emotions, and inside their thoughts. We know that's a reality because when their eyes opened and they saw that they had sinned, the first thing they did, they heard the sound of God in the garden and they went and hid. This servant went and hid. You see, your image of God will reflect your relationship with God and to God. And when you see God as being hard, when you see God as being judgmental, when you see God as looking for every opportunity to blow you off the face of the earth, your life will never reproduce abundance. Your life will be filled with fear which will cause you to retreat, to hide, to not invest, not take a chance, not step out, and you bury who you are what you are, and what you have. Yeah. It is good preaching. It's a powerful truth that comes straight from the Word of God. There's a lot in this parable, a parable parallels the truths of heaven that God wants to have affect earth. And the truth is that some people will see God for the magnanimous God that he is. Some people will see God as the benevolent God that he is. Some God, people will see God as the God full of joy who wants to reward us and bless us, who comes to heal us and to set us free. And others will see God the way religion often paints him and the way devils want to paint him. And that is a God who is short on patience, a God who is intolerant, a God who is quick to judge and not quick to forgive isn't it interesting that everything God requires of us and we know he requires of us we have a picture of him that's the opposite whoa I'm gonna get excited good preaching pastor Rob I want to destroy the lies of the enemy so that you will refocus for 2022 and see God as big as he is, as great as he is, as trustworthy as he is. Two men reproduced. Great wealth was invested in them and they reproduced abundance. You see, your mindset of God will affect your reality. Your mindset of God will affect your reality. And your reality, 
Your perspective will affect your destiny. Praise God. Two men saw God as awesome as he is. And one man saw God as someone he isn't. He also says, not only did he knew, not only did he conclude, not only did he resolve, not only did he come to a final conclusion about the picture of his master, he made a judgment. Two weeks ago I said, the judgment you make is the sentence you wear. We make judgments about people. But what we don't realize is that when we judge situations from our perspective, we actually release a curse that will boomerang and come back on us. And the judgment we make is often the sentence we wear. And here's this man makes a wrong judgment about the character of God. And he has a fruitless life. He has an unproductive life. He has nothing to boast about. He stands before the master and he's afraid. He's scared. He's intimidated. He has no good self-image because he never gave his master the glory of the image of who he is. You see, this series about restoring the image of God isn't about doing PR work so that we all have a better picture of God. It's about changing the image in our concept of who God is. God doesn't need a facelift. He doesn't need a tummy tuck. Maybe Pastor Rob does, but God doesn't. He doesn't need a little bit of Botox or collagen. It's not his image that has to get fixed up. It's our perception of his image that has to get altered. Because when we have the right image of God, you see, the image that you cast of God is the image you will experience. The God you see is the God you will get. And so here in this third servant this is such a powerful truth. Here in the third ser servant, he says, I knew you are a hard man. The Greek word for hard, let's put that up. Sclereos. Scleros. Hard. Rough. Usage. Violent. Harsh. Stern. Scleroderma comes from scleros and derma, skin. He said, I, I saw you as inflexible. He didn't see him as a master of grace. He saw him as hard. He saw him as legalistic. He's harsh. He's stern. He's not just. He's not fair. He always comes down like a heavy hand. Now watch this. You see, <clears throat> the pictures we paint open doors to the blessing of God. 
But when we have a wrong image of God, when we believe the lies of our own fears, when we believe some of the lies that religion has conjured up, when we believe the lies that come out of the mouth of the devil, instead of my pictures opening up windows for God's blessing, my pictures will open up windows for the thief to steal kill and destroy this man came to a conclusion about his master that he's hard he's harsh his picture of his master affected his day to day life and it affected his destiny And sometimes we see God not as he really is, but as the devil wants us to see him. Adam and Eve ended up seeing God the way Satan was whispering in their ears. And they actually believed that God didn't want them to be like him. Amazing. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The devil comes along and says, he doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you'll be like him. First mistake. They didn't know who they were. God said who they were. You are created in my likeness and in my image. They didn't believe they were who God said they were. Whoa, come on. Whoa. They didn't believe they were who God said they were. And then their picture of God changed as well. God's trying to keep something good from us. God doesn't really invest in us. God doesn't believe in us. And when you alter the image of God, it will alter your destiny. Either for the positive or for the negative. Are you hearing me, church? Listen, <clears throat> Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, you need to pay attention. This is good stuff. You, you know what I'm doing? You know what I'm doing? I'm pulling out the plug that stops up the plumbing. That's what I'm doing. I'm pulling down thought barriers that stop us from seeing the glory of the image of God in its totality. What I'm doing is I'm unstopping the things that are blocking you from stepping into your destiny. And sometimes the devil uses religion. You say, that sounds blasphemous. How can that man say that? The apostle Paul did. He said, in the church, there are doctrines, theological statements, positions of belief that are doctrines of demons. The apostle Paul said it. Doctrines of demons, theological positions that are placed in such a way to paint a negative picture of God. I'm not just a devil-stomping preacher. 
I'm a devil theology destroying preacher. Hallelujah. <laughs> the devil's a liar. And every word that is written in the word of God is good and it is true. And if you believe it, stand up on your feet and give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Yes! Yes! That's my daddy! That's my daddy! Hallelujah. See, I want to affect your picture of God because the world will affect your picture of God. The devil will affect your picture of God. Religion will affect your picture of God because they want to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus was always painting pictures of God. And this morning I'm painting pictures of God because I want you to be like servant number one and servant number two. Amen. Absolutely. Take a seat for a minute. I want to share a testimony with you. I told you last week that I was going to share an amazing story, an amazing testimony with you. And uh, Pastor Steve, can overhear this one? You'll get it? There you go. That's all right. That's all right. We have Zach here and Emma, and they have a beautiful little baby girl. Tell me her name again. Alea. Guys, stand up. There you go. You can stand next to Zach. There you go. All right. I, I wasn't trying to get you away from me. I was going to put you in here. So I, <laughs> I got you both under my arm, but anyway. Alea, look at her. Isn't she gorgeous? Now, Emma, what most people don't know, and I I know you're willing to share this because we said we'd share your testimony. All of your young adult life as a young teenager and young lady, what did the doctor say about your possibility of having a baby? That it was about like one percent. So yeah, I was diagnosed with like a genetic condition when I was in high school, um, and so part of that, because of that, the doctor said it would be pretty much nearly impossible for me to be able to have a kid without any like medical intervention or um, anything like that. So Zach and Emma had pretty much settled in their minds mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have kids, and maybe one day they would adopt. And that's still an option that's on the table, but God also intervened. You put it to me a certain way. You said, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know I'm not. You (laughs) said that the doctor said to her, if all the planets all line up, she'd have less than a 1% chance. chance. So they never expected to have this little bundle of joy. Isn't that fantastic? Now, Zach is only a young Christian, and uh, his father-in-law witnessed to him, as I believe I'm sure Emma did, and uh, his dad, his father-in-law witnessed to him. Zach, how old are you in the Lord? 
in the Lord. Just a couple years reborn there. Just a couple of years ago, he was born again. They have had a life-altering miracle. He didn't believe in God or was agnostic, wasn't sure if there was a God. He changed his picture of God and started to pursue God. And as soon as they moved down here, they went looking for a church. Yes. God is a rewarder of those who... Now, there's another part to this miracle as well. So here they are in the hospital, and you're giving birth. How many hours in labor? <laughs> it was long. It was a long, long. Welcome to motherhood. <laughs> it was a long labor. Now, during uh, as soon as the baby was born, yes. you were sharing with Pastor Carlos and me. Yes. Something that happened that caused you to start texting parents and the church and what happened? Yeah. So without being uh, too gross, um, the baby was born and she was born. She took one breath and then stopped breathing. As well, at the same time, is Emma started losing blood like crazy. Um, what they started doing was preparing operating tables for both my baby and my wife. And I texted my mom, my dad, and my in-laws. And I said, pray, pray, pray. We need a miracle here. Yeah. And within the same minute, Emma stopped bleeding, and Alea started breathing completely on her own. <laughs> <laughs> You could, uh, you could feel the hand of God sweep through the room. No medical, no medical thing would have had, had them both fine at the exact same time. Both of them at the same time. You see, it doesn't take a Pastor Rob to pray. It takes anyone who is born again. You know, do you understand that the Bible says you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ? He, not only did he wash away your sins... He seated you in heavenly places with Christ. You're in the same seat, both of you. You're in the same throne that Jesus sits on. He's the head, we're the feet, the enemy's under our feet, okay? He puts you in the same position in heavenly places as Christ and makes you a co-heir. And here you are, two years old, in your newfound faith. You start believing in God and you pray and within one minute mama's healed baby's healed and for the rest of their life they have a testimony to sing about amen amen awesome did you want to add something to that um you don't have to no, I just no I do I'm just trying to think of how I want to phrase it okay so we've been talking about restoring the image of God and I just think that, you know, throughout high school, like when I was diagnosed, I had, I think, a very distorted image um, when I found out just because I was, I think, angry. Um, but because I have wanted kids my, my whole entire life, like that was the one thing that I wanted probably more than anything else. And I was angry because I was like, okay, well, why would he take away, you know, the thing that I think would bring me most joy? Like, why yeah. would, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and so I think throughout this whole process, he's just been continuing to restore his image in my mind, and I think in Zach's too, um, and just working to show us who he really is. Isn't that awesome? 
Yeah, praise God. That is a major, major miracle. Praise God. And for the rest of your life, you're going to enjoy this miracle. Praise God. And more babies to come. Hopefully. <laughs> Zach says, let me get some sleep first. <laughs> All right, guys, you can take your seat. You see, when the image of God is restored in our perception to match how big he really is, five bags of gold. Is she worth five bags of gold to you? Way more. Way more. Man, you're acing it. I studied. How many bags of gold is your wife worth? Uncountable. So, there you go. He, he aced it. He aced it. Praise God. Would you stand with me? Sometimes consciously, because of the things we've been taught, because of the circumstances we've gone through, sometimes consciously and sometimes subconsciously, we make judgments about God. The enemy is a master at whispering in our ears. The term trash talk, originated with him in the garden. Why is this series so important? It's equally as important to the devil. He is constantly trying to paint a picture of God in an image that God isn't. And so many people run from God because the devil's painted a negative image. Jesus came to paint an image of the Father. Jesus said, I only do the things I saw my Father do. Do you get it? I only do the things I saw my Father do. When he healed Jarius' little 12-year-old daughter, the mourners already started to weep because she had died. And they said, he, she's dead. And Jesus reaches out and grabs the little girl's hand and says, Talite kume. Little girl, rise up. He interrupted death and life came. This is the picture of who God is. He interrupted death and life came. And God wants to interrupt the works of the evil one. Come on. God wants to interrupt the works of the evil one. John the apostle, the beloved of the Lord, the one who was close to him. He was in the inner circle. Peter, John, and James, they were tight with Jesus. And John writes in his epistle, he says, for this reason, the Son of God manifested himself on earth to destroy, to obliterate the works of the evil one. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, 
I only do the things I saw my father do. And everywhere he went, he healed people. He forgave people. He set them free and brought joy to their lives. And then John, who was so close to Jesus, that at the Last Supper, he lay his head on Jesus' chest. And John writes many years later, this is why the Son of God came, to destroy the works of the evil one. Sometimes religion will have us believing that God is keeping a score sheet and he just wants to kick us in the butt every time we do something wrong. And that he's angry and short-tempered. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because you won't find that in the Word of God. Even the God of the Old Testament, David paints a picture. He says, you are full of loving compassion and slow to anger. And you don't treat us the way our sins deserve. David understood the grace of God and it enabled him in a time of his own personal failure to stand up again, dust himself off, and keep going because he saw God as a God who doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Amen. This morning as we conclude and we come to a close here. I'm going to invite my pastors to come and stand out the front. Paul and Beth, come and join them. Lynn, come. Uh, Amber, and if uh, Danielle's in the room, she can come as well. Come and pray. If Michael's in the room and Danielle's here. Come join your wife, pastor, all my pastors. We're going to open up the altar for prayer. You say, Pastor, this is the last preach you get before Christmas. Doesn't sound like a Christmas message. <laughs> the image of Christmas is a fat guy in a red suit with a lot of good gifts. And it's a counterfeit picture. Because Christmas is about an eternal God who gave his best and when you receive that one gift, that one gift keeps unpacking a lifetime of gifts and blessings. Amen. So, actually, I think this is a good Christmas message. It's a good sermon to preach just a few days before Christmas. Because God wants to reward you. And he wants to bless you. And he's not your enemy. And he's not angry with you. You know, we don't chase God. God chases us. Even when we're lost in sin, he chases us. And for some of you, that's why you're here this morning. Somehow you happen to be here. A friend brought you. A relative brought you. You came to town to visit. Heck, who knows? But you're here. And God is using this vessel to paint a picture so that you could see him as he really is. First thing we're going to do before we close is give everyone an opportunity. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, if you don't have this kind of relationship, it's not about religion. 
It's not about religion. People are so concerned, oh, well, I'm of this religion. This religion will get me to heaven. Forget your religion. Jesus will take you to heaven. It's not religion. It's a relationship with God by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, I want to give you that opportunity today so that you could start a bona fide relationship with the God of the universe, a good God, a God of miracles, and a God of rewards. Amen. Every eye closed. If you have never asked Christ into your heart, if you want a relationship with God, today Jesus wants to come into your life. But you know, I can give you a gift, but unless you unwrap that gift and receive it and take it home, you will never benefit from that gift. So this morning, I'm asking you to benefit from the gift of God. If you want to ask Jesus Christ in your heart while every eye is closed, raise your hand nice and tall and say, Pastor, pray for me. Come on, put your hand up and say, that's me. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Who else? wants to accept Christ today. Not religion, Christ. Jesus, into your heart. Who else wants to say, yes, I want Jesus to come into my life. I realize I might not deserve him, but he wants me and therefore I want him. Anyone else want to pray that prayer today? I'm going to ask this whole church to join with that beautiful lady who raised her hand uh, to repeat this prayer after me and then we're going to open the altar and whatever you need if you need someone to agree with you in prayer you need someone to stand with you and believe for a curse to be broken off of your life you need a miracle then you'll have that opportunity to come out the front and let these ministers minister to you but right now everyone repeat after me dear Jesus I believe that you are God and you died on that cross for me. You paid my penalty in full so that I can share your riches and your reward. Jesus Christ, I need you and I receive you. Come into my heart today, right now. Forgive me of all my sins, Jesus. I want to start relationship with you. I thank you for coming into my heart on this very day. Today, I am born again. Today. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Come on, praise God. Awesome.